Amen. Wow, that was rich. Uh, I don't know about you, that's not my every morning to wake up to that. And um, just so beautiful, just so thankful for our worship team. And as you see rotating faces, that's our heart's desire is to be a people who know how to worship the Lord. And um, that's what worship is. It's worshiping Him, not us. And it's putting us in our rightful place just to be in awe of God. And uh, I love that description in the book of Acts where it talks about the early church. And it says they were gathered together and there's a sense of awe. You know, I've never been able to really define awe, but you know it when you're experiencing it, you know? And uh, I just love that just this morning, I just, I sense that personally, just a sense of awe. Like, wow, God is present. He is real. He is near. Um, well, as Billy said, we're continuing our series uh, called Prepare the Way and here during the Advent season. We kicked it off last Sunday. If you missed it, we would love for you to uh, kind of uh, rewind and jump into that and carry with us these four weeks. But we really are being intentional about this Christmas season and how we can uh, continually look at um, Christ and his first coming and his second coming. And, um, and, and, and that we are a people um, that are uh, consistently taking this specific month uh, time frame out of the year to say, hey, we're going to put the focus just really clearly, everything we're doing as a church, say, hey, we want to remember everything Christ has done and that he's going to do. And I shared uh, last week just a little bit what our family does and just about having kind of uh, lighting candles at night and doing advent calendar and we do the fun ones for the kids with chocolates and that kind of stuff. And, um, and it's just a rich time for us as a family. And even though sometimes the nights are late and you're tired, it's like, hey, we're going to do it because we want to remember what this season's about. We want to remember what Christ has done. And, you know, before I jump in the message, um, you know, when you think about uh, Christmas here and gift giving, um, <clears throat> you know, my, uh, my, my brother and his family are here this morning and I just, I'm sitting here and I'm like, Lord, I've got to share this story. So I've probably shared it once before, but not with him in the room. And so growing up, I got an older uh, brother and older sister. And, um, you know, when you're the youngest in the family, um, you, uh, you, you tend to kind of play catch up a little bit to what everybody else is doing. And so around Christmas time, of course, I knew it's like, hey, we're going to get gifts for our siblings, you know? And so I don't know how old it was, probably Robert remembers, but... Uh, I'll just say I was really young to kind of help cover myself here, uh, that I wasn't a teenager or something, okay? And so I was young, and I remember I didn't get a Christmas gift for my brother, and so what I did is I believe I actually went into our room and to the sock drawer, and I grabbed uh, not two socks, but one sock, I think, if I'm remembering right, and I wrapped it up, and I gave it to my brother. Um, and I'm not sure what state of mind I was in, but you know, sometimes parents will say to their boys, like, what were you thinking? And the response is like, I don't know. And then you've learned through science, you're like, actually, they weren't thinking. Because little boys have not developed that part of their brain to actually think before they act. They just do. And they're like, well, what, why did we do that, you know? And so that was probably one of those, what are you thinking? Is like, I don't know. I just gave him a gift, you know? So he's very gracious, my older brother, and uh, has, has uh, loved me through all these years. So I have no idea how I'm going to tie that into the message. So it's not going to tie into the message. I'm just going to share that with you this morning to make you laugh. Um, but I do say that to say this much. <clears throat> when we talk about this season, 
Um, I want you to pause real quick and think back to when you were a little younger. So however old you are, just go back to when you're younger, okay? And I want you to think back, what do you remember most about this Christmas season, this Advent season? And everyone may have a little different memory, but I'm gonna go on a limb and say that what you remember the most was probably not the gifts you gave or the gifts you received. What you probably remember the most were the moments with people, right? It was the relationships. It was the adventure, the ski trip, the this tradition we did as a family. We made hot chocolate every, we did this. We went to church on Christmas Eve and then went out to dinner. Like, it's something you did with people that is that memory. And if you don't, and if you look back your childhood, you look back at Christmas days, you're like, man, my Christmas is not filled with hot chocolate and family going to church. Then I would argue that there is a longing in your heart for that. Because God has put a longing in our hearts for family. He's put a longing in our hearts to be part of something, to not, to not live on an island by ourselves, but to live in community. And especially this time of year, there is a longing for a family that is healthy and kind and peaceful and wants to get together and puts politics aside or puts whatever thing and just, can we just, can we just play a board game you know, can we go on like the like 30-day negativity fast, right? I mean, I'm just saying there's, there's actually books out there you can do it. But hey, what if you challenge your family? Hey, uh, Christmas this year, negativity fast. No negativity. Now, there may not be a whole lot of talking going on. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to start with not negative words. Negative thoughts will be next year. But just, hey, can we just not be negative outwardly probably, you know? And man, that would make this season so much better because we long for family, we long for something special, for something unique, something that, 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 that reminds us really of what God intended from the beginning, which is this sin-free, beautiful relationship with him. That's the Garden of Eden. It was this, we're in relationship with each other and with God, and it's bliss. That's what we long for. That's what we are trying to return to. That's what Christ, by the way, is coming back in fullness to make right in his second coming. Now last week we kind of opened up this series and, and, and shared a few passages. I wanna go back to some of those again this morning. I wanna start us out by looking at Isaiah chapter 40, verse three through five. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall, shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, I mentioned this last week, but if you think about the days of old, before we had these nice asphalt or concrete roads, okay, in order for someone to travel, let's call it a king or a queen, wherever they were traveling from, the east or the west, or Europe, or Asia, or the Middle East, or Africa, wherever these kings and queens were traveling, Typically what happened is they would have a group of people go ahead of them to only make sure the road was safe, but also to clear the way. That literally, if there was ditches, if there was, if there was places you had to cross or a creek or a river, they'd build little bridges. If there was trees that, that had fallen down, they had to remove them because they wanted to make a straight, minimal, bumpy ride for that king. So they went ahead and prepared for him or for the queen 
so that when they went on their road, it would be this pleasant ride, right? Like that was the, that was the mindset. They would actually prepare the way for the royalty. And when you think about this passage, this time of year, you know, we're talking about preparing the way, and oftentimes we think about John the Baptist, right? And so John the Baptist, he, he taught us, we're going to read that in just a minute, but I want us to think about how he prepared, but how we are to prepare as well. So, you know, prepare is to make ready beforehand for some purpose. Pretty simple. We don't need a definition for it, but what's the alternative if we don't prepare, right? Just in anything. If we don't make the preparations, then it can be called neglect or ignoring, right? If you don't make the preparations for something, whatever it is, then it could be the, the antonym, so to speak, could be neglect, right? It could be ignoring that. And so as we look at this season and what God's inviting us into in a fresh way is, the preparation is not about a road or removing trees, right? It is a metaphor to say this, the preparation is going on in here and going on in how this affects the people around us, which we all could use help in from God in helping to clear out those bumps and smooth out the places in our own lives so that we are ready, that we are prepared, so that whatever God wants to do in our lives, he can do it unhindered by all the ditches and the rivets and the stuff cluttered up. Does that make sense? So we've got to make a place smooth for him to come in. And this preparation and the idea of of, of, you know, uh, every valley raised up and every mountain and hill be lowered. Uneven ground becomes level, right? Rough places are smoothed out. And then it says what there in Isaiah 40? And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. But where else do we see that phrase? We see it a few times in the Bible. I want to point out two to you. In Luke chapter 2 verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Right? The shepherds, right? We have the angels coming. We have the angels coming to Mary. We had these angelic moments where these angels showed up, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And yet we look at that and we say, hold on. So the glory of the Lord is not necessarily that I'm just clicking my heels happy. It's like there is a power. And just as I said at the beginning, you, I don't know if I could describe all for you in a defined Webster's style. And I don't know if I can describe you the glory of the Lord either. Because this doesn't fit in a box. Right? The glory, but it's kind of like when you experience it, you'll know. You know. You know, it's like, whoa, what was that? Uh, not sure how to describe that one. But the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is something that we are going after as a people. Like, we want the glory of God. We want his presence to dwell, to be with us, that when we walk into a place wherever our feet tread, or when you walk into someone's home, you sense God's nearness, his presence, the glory of God. And it's kind of like when we talk about what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is wherever the king is, right? The kingdom of God is filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. So it's like, man, I'm a kingdom person. 
then for all of us, we have to look and say, if I'm a kingdom person, then where's the righteousness, peace, and joy? And I got work to do there. Some weeks I'm like, I'm doing pretty good there, but that one, I'm struggling. But I want that. Like, that's what I long for, right? Like, I long for the kingdom of God to be present, to be evident, to dwell, that every person I interact with, touch, coach, teach, work with, parent, friend, whatever, that I am, that they're like, hey, there's something going on with that guy. Smells like the kingdom. There's righteousness. Smells like some righteousness over here. Some peace. I'm sensing, I'm feeling that peace. And the joy is just oozing out, right? Like, that's what I want. I'm not there. But I want to be there. Like, I want to be there. I want to be there certainly before Christ returns. Whew. So he can't come back tomorrow. I ain't ready. <laughs> but I'm working on it. It's called sanctification. I'm not ready. You're not ready either. We want to we wanna be ready, though. We want to prepare the way in our own hearts. It also says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Ooh, so we actually are being invited into this transformation process by the Spirit, right? This transformation to be image bearers. See that word image, image. We are image bearers of him, of God, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord. This comes from Jesus Christ. This comes from the Spirit of God. But that's, that's the ask, right? That's... That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians a couple thousand years ago. And that's, that's probably what he'd be saying to us too today. Hey, this is, this is what you're being invited into. To be image bearers. To be those that reflect the glory of God in your life. But we can't do that unless we listen to what old John the Baptist had to say, right? So what did he say? In Luke chapter 3, verse 3, he says this. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Sounds familiar, right? Isaiah 40, right? He is quoting Isaiah the prophet who wrote this about six to 800 years before John the Baptist shows up on the scene. So he had done his studies, right? And he knew, and he's quoting this scripture as he is baptizing people. And he is saying, hey, I am part of this process. God chose him, plucked him out of Crazyville called the Wilderness brought him in and said, John, people think you crazy, but I am going to make you great for my name. And you're going to prepare the way for the Messiah because he's coming. You let them know it's time to smooth out those roads. It's time to raise those valleys, lower those mountains, move those branches and twigs out of the way. Because when he comes, he's bringing something new. He's bringing something fresh, and you do not want to miss it, because how many people, when Jesus Christ came, feeding of the 5,000 slash 15,000, right, that include the women and kids, right, miracles, right, turning water into wine, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, healing the deaf. He was doing that work. 
There was a crowd like this at times watching it, and part of the crowd was like, whoa, this is the Messiah. What Isaiah's prophesied about, this is him. This is the guy. Let's drop everything. Let's follow him. And then others who saw the exact same thing were like, eh, that's a magic trick. Seriously. And then others are like, he's a false prophet. Let's get him. Stones. Then others are like, uh, you going to the game this weekend? They were all there. They were all there. So the question is, who are we going to be? You got a choice. God's revealed himself. And he's revealing himself to, what's he say? And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You can wrestle with that one theologically, but the word says it. He's revealing himself, which really means, and in Romans where Paul talks about it, is actually people are without excuse. We do not like that passage. Because we like excuses, me included. Excuses is a way to not take responsibility. Why did that? didn't know I was supposed to do that? I didn't know that was wrong. Well, I mean, however you want to frame it. And it starts as a kid, right? Kids are great excuses, right? And so if you don't nip that in the bud when you're young, you just become an adult that just makes excuses all the time, right? That's what happens, right? That's why parents got to be on your kids. It's like, hey, you're preparing them to receive Christ without excuses. That's right. You want to parenting? You want your kids to be saved? then parent them in a way that's going to prepare them to receive correction, conviction, rebuke, direction, and teaching from God. Respect your authorities, because Jesus is an authority. If you do not respect authorities as a child, you will never come to Christ. Never, ever, ever. Because you have, you cannot surrender, you have to surrender to him completely. It is not a, I'll take a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. That's not it. He's not a salt shaker. It's not a little, oh, I'll zest that up. It's, no, remove this out of my sight. Give me a fresh plate of Jesus. I want that, right? Like that is what he's inviting us into. And John the Baptist, trust me, I am shouting. He was way louder than me. And way crazier looking than me. He was half naked, you know? <laughs> Wilderness, the, everything. He's like, whoa, you know? Just you would have seen him. But you know what? You know what I think? I think God chose John Baptist for lots of reasons. I think he chose him for one, because he looked totally different and totally weird. And God was saying, who's going to look past that and hear the message? Because Jesus is going to come, and you all think he's going to look like King Saul. You know, that big, buff dude, right, who was supposed to be the king of kings, ended up becoming demonically possessed, got really strange, tried to kill David, went wicked and south, and, but that's the king they wanted. He looked the part. He was Mr. Fabio, right, in Israel. That was him. And God's like, hey, I'm preparing the way. John the Baptist is going to look a little different. Isaiah, very different. Jeremiah, these prophets, all these people hearing from God, it's like, they were not going to be class president. They weren't. No offense to class presidents. I'm married to one. No offense to yell leaders. I wanted to be one. I didn't get the part. Those are awesome. But God was looking for the people. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to follow me because he's cool. 
because she looks the part. She's a beauty queen. No, no, it's the message. Because I want you guys, I'm going to drive it into your minds again, everybody. It's about this, not all that. This, I don't care what you wear. I care about this. And so I'm going to send my son, Jesus, who wasn't that good looking. We know, right? He was not. It's like he wasn't this. Oh, look how handsome Jesus is. So John's going to prepare the way Then I'm going to send my son. And you better not reject his message. Because there's no second chances. It's him or bust. So I'm telling us as a church, man, that's what Christmas is. Advent is we're preparing the way in our hearts. But what did John say several times, right? Now remember, he was preparing Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding areas for Jesus who would arrive on the scene. And Jesus, of course, had already been born, right? When John is saying these things, he'd already been born. He's about to be baptized and start his ministry, right? And Isaiah and Malachi, both Old Testament prophets, predicted that he would prepare the way. And how did he do that? What was his preparation, right? What was he inviting people into how to prepare yourselves, right? I'll sum it up for you in one word and one word only. Repentance. Repentance. In verse 3, it tells us John's message was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In Luke 3, verse 8, gives us a sample of his preaching and says he told them, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. It, it wasn't clever. It wasn't a seven-point plan. It wasn't he had a new teaching. It probably just was pretty redundant. Some people are like, man, I've heard this guy before. Did you hear John's coming to the conference? Yeah, he's going to say the same thing. Yep. He's going to baptize people. He's going to call them repentance. He's going to go to the next time to do the same thing. Right? <clears throat> but I believe God's wanting to get through to us again. Because in Luke 3, it's a preparation for God, what God wants to do in us, which is a cleansing from our sins. Which John knew that no one else could do that but Jesus. You have to repent of your sins. But let's talk about repentance just for a minute here during the Advent season because I know everybody is talking about that. Now, I've learned these things as an adult, not as a kid, but here's what I will say. What I've learned about repentance is that you need to be specific. I think we all know that, right? And I'm guilty of this too. Like the general, like, I'm sorry. Right? It's like, for what? You know, stuff. <laughs> Whenever someone apologizes like that, including myself, that means you're not taking ownership. Your repentance is more or less worthless. You're reciting something you don't care about. But when it's like, Billy, I repent for making fun of your shoes. I'm so sorry. But it was your shoes, not anything else, just the shoes. And I'm going after the shoes. And I want to repent for that, right? I'm specific. Not, Billy, whatever's going on over here. Hey, you know, it's, it, you can't be general. You got to be specific. And so I'm going to prove my point. Are you ready? Verse 10, Luke. So all this, so John the Baptist, we know about the prepare the way thing. The, 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 him quoting Isaiah the prophet, right? Then in verse 10, it says, so these crowds are listening to this, right? And they said, um, in verse 10, uh, what then shall we do? And in verse 11, he answered them. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. It's like, repent, right? Keep with repentance, right? 
I'm baptizing people. The Messiah is coming. Prepare the way. And they're like, what do we do? And he's like, hey, I want to talk about tunics for a minute. Like, coats, you know, like, what? He's like, if someone doesn't have one, give them one. All right, if somebody doesn't have food, do likewise. Then in verse 12 and 13, he says, tax collectors also came to be baptized. And he said, and, and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Right, so today, IRS agents collect no more than you're supposed to collect. There's no, this, there's no side gig going on here. None of that. Collect exactly what you're supposed to get. And verse 14, soldiers then came to him, right? He's got a crowd of people, a mix of people, came to him and said, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. Whoa. Content with your wages. Whoa. Don't say that to any American. We don't want to hear that. You know what's interesting, though? All these responses to the what shall we do with this preaching of repentance, what does John go after? I think this is interesting. He goes after money and possessions. All three of those. Interesting. With different groups of people. Every time. They're like, what shall we do to prepare the way? And he's like, uh, you need to quit holding on to this stuff. You need to quit extorting people. Right? You need to quit collecting more than you're supposed to collect. They're like, oh. So they can't just go in and get dunked in the Jordan River by John. Okay, you're good. He's like, hey, um, you need to repent and change. So repentance is not, I repent. Repentance is, I repent, and now I'm going to change. Right? Because without change, your repentance does not seem sincere. And remember, I'm not the police for your repentance. God ultimately is the one dealing with you. You cannot juke him out. We think we can like outmaneuver God. Like, you can't. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows you, everything about you, everything you'd ever want to know. Knows more than you. He's seen everything you've done since a little toddler, little baby. He knows what you're doing now. He knows you're doing at 2 a.m., at 5 a.m., at high noon, at 6 o'clock. He knows everything all the time. There is no hiding. But if you can be convinced that God doesn't care about your life or that he takes naps, you'll do what you want and go into sinful living. God doesn't need a nap. He rested. I don't think he went to sleep, though. Christian. But God is present. He's with us. And he's looking for us to get in alignment with that repentance so we can actually prepare the way for what God wants to do because he wants to pour himself out. He wants us to experience his glory. He wants us to be ready so that when Christ returns, we're ready to go. We're like prepared. We're like, Jesus, we are ready to go. Not like we've all combed our hair and got on our best and we're ready but like, I'm ready at a moment's notice, Lord. My heart is pure, right? That that's what we've got to deal with. And that's what's hard about life, y'all. Let's just be honest. It's hard to keep a clean heart because stuff keeps happening to us and we keep doing things like every day. Like, you'd have to like sit inside of a bubble or something and like not think, not interact to like, be, it's like uh, just, I mean, because we're gonna, just people, we're humans and but what God's inviting us into is, hey, not only a, 
a, a repentance initially for things, but then a maintenance called sanctification. We're constantly able to say, hey, I confess this, Lord. I want to come clean. I want to move on. He who confesses his sins, he will be forgiven. <clears throat> but I want to do this. I want to take this into context with the preparation piece and shift gears just for a minute and talk about how we're going to prepare ourselves as families, right? Now, if you're in this room, you're a college student, you're part of a family, and one day you're probably gonna have your own family, right? Young adults, same thing. Parents here that actually have little kids here, empty nesters that are here. Hey, you've got kids or grown kids. Um, whatever it is, we're all part of a family, however that looks, right? Whether it's your birth mom and dad, whether you're adopted, whether you're a foster, we're in a foster program and you're in a family now, whatever it looks like, everyone's part of a family one way or another, Wherever you are in life, that's where God has you. And so I just want to talk briefly about, specifically on the parenting end, so everyone who's not a parent yet, think about this message 10 years from now and be like, oh yeah, okay, I know you won't, but maybe you will, some of you will. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, a very familiar passage for parents wanting to raise their children to honor God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord your God with all your, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, right? We know that. It's like, oh, that's, that's what Jesus summed up in the New Testament when asked about what's the greatest of the commandments, the greatest of the laws. He's like, he quotes this. In verse six, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road or drive in a car. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames, your houses, and on your gates. Again, some of these are specifics. I'm not asking everybody to wear bandanas that have the Ten Commandments on their head. You can do that, okay? I think the implication is this, though. Are we allowing the truth of God to be present in our everyday lives? Are we talking about it? Do we got some pictures hung about it? Do we get a Bible out? Are we referencing it in different teachable moments in life? Are we bringing God into our parenting like godly parenting where scripture to the center of that and the reason why we do or don't do things is really tied back to who God has already asked us to be and what he's called us to do. Because parents have a responsibility to raise their children this way, but even a step farther, if you want to use this word, an assignment. You have an assignment from God. I've got five kids, okay, here on earth. These five kids, um, they are mine, but I have like second ownership. God's primary owner of my kids. I am a steward of my children. Now I take that very seriously. I will defend them to the death. I will care for them, I'll provide for them, I'll do whatever's necessary for my kids because I believe that it's an assignment from God. Even the days that they're really annoying, even the days they're disobeying, even the times that I'm like, oh my gosh, I just, I just wanna enjoy hanging out and you're screaming, Ooh, you know? How do I get through that? Because my vision for parenting is bigger than, well, I'm gonna parent as long as this is fun. Right? I'm going to stay married to you as long as this is nice. 
God, I'm, I'm in as long as things go well for me. Promotions, health, connections, we're good. It's a good life, Christian life. I don't know. I signed up well ago. God, I'm in, no matter what. Persecution, suffering, highs and lows, with a lot, with a little, mansion or a shack. I'm in. Kids, whether you like it or not, this is the dad you get. You may not like me. Sorry. This is who he gave to you. I'm working, I'm working my life, but here you go. I say that really seriously because I'm committed to my kids. Parents in the room, you got to be committed. It's not the most responsibility, it's yours. You want to prepare the way for the Lord? Hey, your number one discipleship, relationship, the rest of your life, your kids. If that wasn't for you, which for many of us in the room, you did not have your parents disciple you, okay, great. Let's not all whine about that because we're mostly in that same boat. So there's no pity party for that. Sorry. Draw the line. Jesus, you can redeem whatever the brokenness is in my family tree, and we're going to graft in a new fresh branch that's called discipleship, righteousness, peace, joy, honor. We are, that's what we're doing. That's our branch, and that branch is going to be healthy and strong and multiply, and it's going to help out the rest of the tree. And who knows, the rest of those branches in that tree may get affected one day and come into the kingdom and be redeemed, and that's your goal. You can't control where you came from. You can't control where you're going. Right? You cannot go backwards and undo what you did or didn't get. None of us can. There's things I don't like about my first 40 years. Some of that I did and some of that was done to me. But I have got to draw the line, and it's hard. Because when you get around Christmas and you think about family and traditions and moments, you want to focus in on the good stuff, but we also focus on the negative stuff. And it's hard. But John the Baptist was saying, there's a way forward. He's coming. And when he comes, oh, that's going to be good. He's going to lower those mountains, smooth out those roads for you. But he's inviting you into this process, this repentance process, this sanctification. And so for the parents in the room, I won't spend much more time on this, but I just want to be able to say it is our job to prepare our children to the best that we can. I just want to reference one, one passage here and then we'll, we'll move towards the end. It says in Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, there are several ways that parents might provoke their children to anger, right? Uh, some parents give impossible standards for their children to meet. I have been guilty of that. I'm trying to work my way out of that. To remind myself, they are kids. Why am I acting as if they are adults? They're not. They're children. They'll become adults, but right now they're kids. If I set a standard that is impossible, unattainable, they will always feel like they are losing and not enough. And I don't want to do that. So Lord, convict me where I'm setting impossible standards for my kids. That can drive your kids to anger. Some parents tease or embarrass their children as a means of punishment. Instead of dealing with the real problem, they just lash out. Man, and I've done that. Those words are piercing, and I regret those. I don't want that. I want my words to be salty. I want our words to be salty. I want children raised in the church in America to be the best ones. Oh, there's another wayward one. 
There's another crazy pastor's kid or that, oh, they went to church, but they left that at 18. Wow, good thing they got out of there. No, I'll be able to say, those church kids, they're the best. They're great at sports. They're great at school. They're great at dance. They're great at music. They're polite. They decide to vote when they turn of age. They drive safely. I trust them on the road. I like those church kids. Church kids for president, right? That's what, it, that's what we want. But it ain't going to happen because we just pray for it or hope it happens. Prayer is part of it. As we talked about, as we even anticipate the second coming of Christ, anticipation includes activity. Hey, we've got to actively engage here with this whole, how am I disciple my kids? Now, let's just fast forward to that for a moment. Instead of to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, which means more or less, parents need to train their kids the way that God's trying to train us. <laughs> and, you know, discipline is designed to bring about repentance. So how do we prepare the way? We're repenting for things in our lives. We're being open about that. But discipline is meant to lead to repentance in us as people and especially in our kids. That's why. You want a repentant heart. You want that breaking point to where they stop generalizing the excuses or anything. They're like, no, daddy, I'm so sorry. And you know, as a parent, when you see them hit that moment, secretly inside, you're like, works. Can I tell you, the word works. I'm not saying it's easy to do, but he is trustworthy. God knows what he's doing. He designed us as humans. He's fully aware of all of our shortcomings and he's fully aware of our personality types and he's fully aware of how much we can get pushed or not. So I would just say, follow this and you'll get there. You'll, you'll get there and training your kids under the Lord. So when we talk about, you know, disciplines his children, the Lord disciplines his children. Do you guys know that that word discipline comes from the root word disciple, right? Disciple. Do you think the disciples of Jesus were ever disciplined? You think he just said, hey, you guys are doing great. Nothing to say. Everything's cool. Go ahead and keep doing that. Very off, non-kingdom thing. But we'll just let you go. No. Jesus disciplined them in different ways. God disciplined, right? A father disciplines their children. That's how you reveal love to them. An undisciplined child means actually you're neglecting them. Which back to preparation, the opposite of preparation is neglect. So in order to not prepare the way for your family, it means you're neglecting them. That means discipline is not in that house. We want to make disciples. And it's funny how we pull this together. It's like, oh, what's the great commission? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So if it starts in your home, then you just translate that to other people. And now you become a disciple maker of different generations just by just implementing the same thing everywhere you go. Of course, it looks a little bit different depending on the age and stage of life, but the heart is the same. And so what are we being discipled into today? Repentance. Which is not fun. But repentance is fun on the backside. Sometimes it's, um, it's hard for me to let go. 
it's hard for me to say I'm sorry. I may be the only one in this room feeling that way, but it's challenging. I want to be right. There's still a part of me that wrestles with, oh, I want to be right. I want to get it right. And if someone's going to accuse me of something, I want to make sure this accurate is factual and right because I don't want to agree with something that's false or agree with something just because it makes them feel better. You know, it's like if I am, you know, if the judge is here, Tyler, it, okay, the evidence, you know. And so that's hard for me to even know how to wrestle through those pieces, right? And ultimately, I would say the number one convictor in my life is the Spirit of God. He doesn't just lead us and guide us in all truth. He's also the convictor. So this morning, as we just close, I want to give us the opportunity just to respond, to repent, really, here at Christmas time. So I think that's what we're invited into. That's what preparing the way for crisis. Once you guys to stand, band, come on up here. We're going to close it up. And, um, you know, even last night I was thinking, where are we going to go this morning in this message? And I was like, Lord, I don't really know where we're going to go. <laughs> I need your help this morning. And I felt like he just highlighted, he said, listen, we, we, repentance cannot be talked about enough. Because it's actually what makes relationships right. Like, repentance is, what gonna, is what's going to make your Christmas experience with family better. In your home, with your parents, aunts and uncles, grandparents, cousins. Like, if everybody came to the table and just did, hey, just before we open presents, can we just all repent for 15 minutes? Trust me, yes. it's going to be a way better Christmas day. Right? Like, th this is just, I'm going to give you a little life group leader tip. So if your life group leader ever does this, if your life group's ever struggling, show up to life group, put on some worship. Hey guys, all right, so here's the plan. Uh, we're going to repent and I'm going to start and whoever feels like repenting can. And usually that life group, you're like, man, I love this life group because everyone is vulnerable and real, nothing to hide. You know, that's what Jesus came against, you know? We think about the Pharisees, you know, the bad actors all the time. We think about them, and there's a whole other teaching there with those guys. But I, I think in many ways, they had, they, had, they had hearts that wanted to honor God in the right way. They wanted to be right. Oh, they wanted to get it right. They wanted to dress right. They wanted to wash their hands right. They wanted to apply the law very, very strictly. They wanted to do it right. But over time, when you focus in on just doing things right, you miss the relationship. I've been guilty of that. That's what I want to repent for. Focusing on getting things right instead of the relationship with a person, with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, with your coworker, with your employees, with people in the church, people in your life group, that we can get so fixated on one thing and miss what God's really wanting to say. Isaiah 57, 14 through 15, it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus the one who is lifted up, who inhabits eternity, its name is holy. I dwell high in holy place. And also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So here's how we're getting today.
I want you to know that there's a promise for you. If we repent, there's a promise for us. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Contrite is a feeling or showing sorrow and remorse for something you've done. It's that, it's that real remorse. So he says, if you have a contrite and lowly spirit, he'll revive you to return to consciousness of, or life, to become active and flourishing again. Do you see the promise? When we repent, we come right before God. He promises. He promises to revive. And I will hold him to that promise. You can too. He promises for your life to flourish and be active again. That's what I want. I want to be flourishing again. I want to be active again. I don't want to just be right. I want to have a relationship that is whew, sense of awe. I want to feel like the glory of the Lord is revealed. I don't even, and I can't even describe it to you, but you just know it is. I want the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy evident in everything I touch and everywhere I go. And every person who knows me and I know, they're like, there's something oozing out of you. Man, is it Christmas? No, it's Christ. He's oozing out of me. You know how? Because I repented this morning and yesterday and the day before that. And I've got a clean heart right now. And you can have a clean heart too because God promises you can be flourishing again. He promises to revive your heart again. So we're not going to have anybody come up here this morning. Because <clears throat> I believe everyone, young and old, kids included, you can repent this morning. Everyone in this room has something you can repent for, big or small. It's between you and God. We don't need to hear it. He's got a lot of ears. He can handle this morning. But we're just going to take a moment here. We're going to let the band lead us. And we're going to close up. But I actually don't want you to pray with anyone. Don't talk to anybody else. Just you and God. You can whisper. You can talk out loud. It's okay. You can just quiet as your own heart. But I want you to ask him. So let's just close our eyes right now. Lord, out of everything we shared this morning, Lord, I just want us to step into this moment of 500 people and to repent to you for something. I don't even know what it is for each of us. But Holy Spirit, we trust you right now to be the Holy Spirit and to convict us in this moment. So Lord, we just come before you. Just give us a sense. Put a thought in our mind. Put something in our heart, Lord. Just remind us of a moment or something that we need to repent of, Lord, because we want to be clean. We want to latch onto that promise to be flourishing again, to have our hearts revived. So come, Spirit of God, this morning, we pray.